Welcome to Word of Truth. We are continuing where we left off. It is 6-20-2021, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here we have the thought of the week. Everyone thinks they, what they believe is truth. Why is it the truth? simply because they believe it to be the truth. For sure, our arrogance is involved here. We sincerely want to be right in the things we trust and hold to be true. This is where we must be careful, because everyone cannot be right. Many will live, fight, or even die for their beliefs. I don't expect to change what everyone believes by writing this discourse. I hope that I can shed some light on our approach to truth. If we keep looking for truth in all the wrong places, we will be, quote, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, unquote. And that's from Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. We are supposed to believe the truth. But everything we believe may not be the truth. Truth comes as we are trained by the word of God. Who does the training? Primarily, God the Holy Spirit. The material he uses is the Father's plan, which is the mind of Christ, as taught through the pastor teacher. The objective? Quote, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, unquote. And that's from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. We all must start somewhere, and a food metaphor is helpful here. There are levels of truth from the milk to the meat of the word. Quote, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Unquote. From 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. But solid food, this is another quote, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, evil. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Training is important, and the word is good for training in righteousness. In 2 Timothy 3, 16. And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to add a little commentary to that. I was just reading a post in social media to this effect that there is a lot of service and learning to be done before we can fulfill our purpose, even. We don't fulfill our purpose based on our imagination. They're based on what we thought was true. We need to get the training from God and be transformed from God. Then we will be equipped to do his work. And let us remember that God wants two things. And what we're talking about here is that all people come to the knowledge of the truth. But before that can happen, his first desire is that all people would be saved. 
And the thing to remember is that salvation is a moment in time. The time spent after salvation is in training. And let us keep our focus on what God has given us, which is everything that we need to do to live our lives as he created us to be. And I'd like to share, turn this over to Dave for prayer. Thanks, Dwight. Okay, Father, we ask you that you will look over those who are in need, Father. We ask for a special request for Kenny as he goes through a surgical request. We ask the Father to look over Dwight as he's taking care of his um, financial needs also, Father. We also ask the Father to pray for our church, Father, as he goes through certain needs and times, Father. We ask you for a special request for the my family as well, Father, as we you comfort us. We ask you to comfort us in our laws, Father. Um, Father, we ask you, Lord, as the Spirit give us direction and truth that we can continue to serve to you, Lord, and we can grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, no matter you know our financial needs are what we need and our desires, Father, we ask you, Lord, to fulfill this, Lord. In your time, Father, as we live in this world, Father, while we're still here, Father. So, Father, as we continue to grow, Father, we ask you to comfort us, Father, and giving us the passion, Lord, as we continue to grow in grace and in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask to be saved in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Dwight and Dave. We appreciate that. Um, We are going to continue with where we are uh, we left off last time Um, we are in uh, John chapter 16 and verse 14 and it says he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you you should all have notes in in your notes it is interesting me to me that the spirit will glorify the son We learn that it is the Father's plan which is given to the Son for him to be glorified. The Father and the Spirit defer to Christ as the focal point of this glorious eternal plan. We see a humility which is exceptional and certainly worthy of our admiration in the Godhead. Even our Lord Jesus displayed notable humility himself. Quote, Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, unquote. That's in Philippians. While the Son receives all the glory, he understands humility, quote, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, unquote. It's in Philippians as well. For us, who have been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, we are to be, quote, completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's Ephesians 4 and 2. So, What we have here, when we're talking about glorifying, and that's the Holy Spirit, is not here to glorify himself. He's here to glorify Christ. 
And when we say glorify, that means to lift him up, to accentuate, to magnify who he is, and to make him the focal point of not only uh, Israel, but for the church and for everything. That is for that which is in heaven, that which is on earth. Christ is to be head of everything. So that is what uh, the Father intended when he invested everything in Christ. And the Holy Spirit uh, certainly is going along with that plan by bringing many sons into glory and, and, and to glorify the person of Christ. So we, we covered a lot of this already. I think we spent good time, hopefully, on the five ministries of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things I wanted to mention in that was that those ministries are there not to glorify us, but to glorify Christ. Christ is glorified because the Father has given him everything that belongs to him. And, and that is why, uh, as we're going to get into chap, uh, the verse 15, he says, that is why I said that the Spirit is uh, making all of this known to you. Why? To us? Because we have something to do with it. So in order for Christ to be glorified, we have to have the benefits, or you could call them the assets, of God the Holy Spirit. We broke it down into five ministries. We we went through them in some detail. I would not say in all the detail they deserve. We have an exhausted thought of all of these things. We tried to give the general direction as to where God is going by giving us the baptism or the indwelling or the filling or gifting, special gifting, sealing. So all of those things are part of who we are in Christ and that's today. And the one thing that makes us, that, that drives a lot of this, is the first one, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which identifies each believer with the person of Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So when we think about death, death is a separation. Burial is final. That is to say, that separation, no matter what, is final. It cannot be reattached <laughs> it is done and what is it that we are done with that is our life in Adam so we are separated from the life of Adam and we can never ever go back to it I know that I say that's positional in, in this because in Romans it tries to tell us how we are to behave because of this truth because of the fact that we are separated from the life of Adam. The life of Adam comes with more things than our fallen nature. We always want to say, Adam, fallen nature. Adam gives us our humanity as well. The fact that we're human beings and all of the things that uh, are about human beings is who we are because of what Adam is. God created Adam to be. <clears throat> so when we talk about now we're no longer in Adam, we're not just removing 
the fallen nature. We're removing everything that is of Adam because Adam was created to be in this world, right? This is part of who Adam, what Adam was created uh, to be in this world. But when we're in Christ now, it says that we're no longer of this world. So that would be to say, we are so removed from Adam that what we are is no longer associated with this world. That, that goes beyond what many people talk about when they talk about the baptism of the Spirit, what the ramifications, what the results of the baptism of the Spirit are. We're no longer associated with the first Adam anymore. We were, but not anymore. What God has done for us is something so other than what we could imagine that God had to couch it in words like what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, the, the, the uh, unsearchable riches of his glory, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ and all this. This, this is God trying to explain what results are from the baptism of the Spirit. So every, every one of these other ministries depend on the baptism of the Spirit. Without the baptism of the Spirit, you can't have any of these other ministries. You can't have, what, what is the sense of Spirit indwelling? What is the sense of Spirit filling? What is the sense of gifting and all of the rest of it? And sealing if you don't have the baptism of the Spirit. So it's important. Even, even when, when Jesus spoke about the coming of the Spirit, he spoke of it in terms of the baptism of the Spirit and baptism of fire. So all of those things are important. So we covered a lot of that. But what I wanted to say is, all of those ministries are not just here to benefit us. They are here to glorify Christ. So we are baptized by the Spirit. We are baptized into the body of Christ so that Christ will be glorified. We are indwelt with God the Holy Spirit so that Christ will be glorified. We, are, we receive spiritual gifts. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit because we want God the Father wants Christ to be glorified through the ministry of that of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we have to see that the plan of the Father for Christ includes us. So we we have to understand that part of who Christ is is us. And without us, the Father's plan cannot be complete. So we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I'm going to skip down to point D, 1D. We covered this last week, of course. So how will the Spirit glorify Christ? How will he do it? And we are not left to our own ideas on how he will do this. It is defined in the next phrase. So when we talk about the how of it, so we could say, yeah, the Spirit will glorify Christ. Well, I already gave you five ways, the five ministries that make us unique. If, if somebody else had these five ministries, they would be one with us as well. But 
Israel, it wasn't given to them. In fact, it wasn't even revealed. They didn't even know such a thing would exist. It wasn't given to Gentiles in any way in the Old Testament. This was completely hidden in God. So now God has revealed his heart that this is what he wanted. And, and how are we to understand this? And the question is, how? Like, what can we help? Well, we are the recipients of the Spirit's ministry. And the answer is yes, we can help. We're going to talk more about it as we go forward. Just like in, in the first part of the Spirit's ministry to this world. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you can see me no more. And of judgment, because the prince of this world stands condemned. So when we read all of that in John 16, this is work that the Holy Spirit would do. These are things that the Holy Spirit would do when he comes. So the question I could say is, how can we help God, the Holy Spirit, do some of the, those things that he has to do? I don't, I don't know if I asked that question when we taught that, but I'm asking it now. How can we help God, the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to answer my own question by saying, first, we've got to understand what it is the Holy Spirit is doing and how he's doing it. And then, yes, we can come alongside and do our best to foster what he does not hinder it same way here when when the spirit is here working and he has all these more things to tell us and all that we need to understand what is his objective before we can determine how we can help him glorify christ so we're into point number two now point number two is because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So now we have some how. Christ is saying the Holy Spirit is not going to glorify himself. He's not going to come with his own agenda. He's not going to speak from the, his mind and say, well, this is what I think. I'm God and I can tell you what I think. No, God is so focused. God, the Holy Spirit, will not deviate from what he knows will glorify Christ. He will stick to the plan. And that is what God wants us to know as a matter of importance. It is from me, Christ says, that he will receive what he will make known to you. So let's get into it a little bit. There's some points here. We won't... Oh, it is Father's Day. So we want to... We, we want to think about the father. I think somebody wrote, I think it was Dwight, uh, about Happy Father's Day and to Abba Father too or something. I like that thought. Because if it's Father's Day and you don't think about the father's plan, I'm, think, I'm thinking I'm doing something wrong. Because that's all we've been talking about is the father's plan. And if we haven't made it clear that that's what we're about, that's why we're here, then, yeah, I must be doing some things terribly wrong. Because we, we're going to talk, in fact, when we get into the next verse, Christ is making the point 
He said, all that belongs to the Father is mine. And I'm telling you this for a specific reason. Because part of this pertains to you. We'll get to that verse 15 next week. So anyway, let's look at let's go through here and see what points can be made. So generally speaking, the spirit's glorifying Christ is related to knowledge and wisdom, not emotion and fanaticism. Now I got to say that. Got to say it. So far, what we're learning from the Lord Jesus Christ is how the Holy Spirit will glorify him. He doesn't talk about through emotion. He doesn't talk about it some sort of, uh, you know, fanaticism and all these different... He's saying that it relates to wisdom and knowledge. Christ got much more to tell us, more than we can now bear, he says to the disciples. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, well, he'll get to tell us all of those things he couldn't tell us before. So it's not related to get emotional or whatever. And guess what? If there is some emotion involved in all of this, if there is, it is not for the emotion's sake. It, it is for wisdom and knowledge's sake. It's not about emotion. Our emotions respond to the wisdom and knowledge that we have. And if, if we didn't respond to it, we wouldn't be human. We wouldn't be who we are anymore. But what, what we have is not about that. Jesus never said, well, it's going to make you feel good. It's, it's going to make you have spiritual goosebumps when we talk about certain things. Just this feeling of euphoria will come over you. So it's not about that. Jesus never said that. Why? Are we at this place where the Holy Spirit is related to, I don't know, was it because the King James translated it Holy Ghost? People talk about it and their eyes get big and they talk about the Holy Ghost and what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. Well, the word is pneuma. And it means spirit. Yeah, some people translated it ghost. Yeah, that's true. But it, the word is pneuma. It is not, he, he is not a ghost. He's God. Isn't that a little bit discrediting to who it is? I mean, think about it. The Holy Ghost? Well, how do we get that name in the first place? How, how is he associated with a ghost? That is demeaning. To, to who he is. He is eternal God. He's not a ghost. God is a spirit. He's, and, and God is defined in Scripture with principles and attributes that are real. He is not a ghost. He's real. Point B. Stop associating the Holy Spirit with your emotions and intuition. This is... This is a big one, because Jesus tells us exactly what the Spirit would be and who he is. So we don't need to, if we're following what Jesus said, we are going to not associate the Holy Spirit with our emotions. And guess what most people think? 
somehow their intuition is always right. You know, like they have this true north, you know, weather vane. Wherever they are, this thing points to true north, this compass in their head. And it's like, whatever I feel, that's what got to be right. Well, it might be right for you. might be right for your thinking. But it doesn't mean it's right for what God is thinking. Intuition. You can't tell. Uh, you know, some people are good at reading other people and looking at their facial expressions and hearing the pitch in their voice and emotion. And they, they make judgments based on that. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is. It says, what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. So you don't even have an inkling about what the Holy Spirit is about to say. It says, that these are the things God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed to us. So now, it is not about intuition or emotions or any of those things. That's not, that's not the ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's not. <laughs> but people think it is. And, and I have to say stop, because really, we are doing a disservice to God, and we have to put our foot down here. It has gone so far to the emotional and you know, spiritual transfiction and, and you know, where people are just thinking in terms of, let me feel the Holy Spirit. Don't you feel him moving in this church and all this stuff you hear people say. And then there are people in churches that don't even teach that. They don't teach it, but it is taught by emotion and intuition. Spirit infused into their music and all the different things. So point B, we're finishing it. We had all these things before the Spirit came. And we still have them. But that is not the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I use the term Holy Ghost in jest a little bit, tongue-in-cheek. It's not. We, we have to progress beyond that. Even though we have been understanding what the spirit of truth is, many people think he's the spirit of emotion. If Jesus had said the spirit of emotion, it would completely agree with their theology. Completely. But that's not what it is. It's the spirit of truth. That's what it is. And what is the truth that we're talking about here? We're talking about divine truth that has been not revealed prior. Jesus said they could, the disciples couldn't bear it. But he says you've got to wait until the spirit of truth comes. He'll be able to tell us all things. He will remind us what he has told, what Jesus has told us, and he will tell us more things about what is yet to come. That, that's what the spirit of truth is going to do when he comes. Now, if he said it was going to be the spirit of emotion, then people could expect that people will be emotionally vibing with the Holy Spirit in some way. They're, he would be vibing with their emotions and resonating with them on an emotional level. But that is not what it says, that he is the spirit of emotion or intuition. It says he's the spirit of truth. Where do we get this stuff from? It is certainly not the Bible. And it, it distresses me a little bit about where people have gone with this point. It really, I'm, I'm 
saying we we have to let people know we do not stand for that and why do they stand for it when this is what christ said the spirit would be why not allow christ to to be true and let every man also be a liar that's what the scripture says let god be true and every man also a liar that's in first corinthians 4 just in case you think i made it up so stop it don't think of god the holy spirit as stimulating you emotionally stop it it's not who he is come to understand who he is from what christ said that he is let's keep going point c how the spirit of truth glorifies christ is important to us why because when we are trying to understand his influence on us and that we will not and we will not make false assumptions and that's so so two things we need to understand how it works and we already said from second corinthians no 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 ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Holy Spirit is an influence. We know that. But what kind of influence is the Holy Spirit? Drunk with wine, we get that. Person inebriated, stumbling around, slobbering, maybe vomiting, making a mess of themselves, uh, saying things that only the sin nature could be glorified that's a drunk person and when you look at that person you're like well and we even say well what is a drunk well under the influence dui driving while under the influence influence well we know what kind of influence that is but paul the apostle paul is saying that we should not be drunk with wine which leads to making a mess of ourselves but we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So now the filling of the Holy Spirit is influence over us. But influence for what? What, what, what are we in? What, what power is trying to persuade us in which direction? There's a power. But what direction is that power leading us to? Is it to be emotional? To make people think that we got some kind of power? of intuition or something that we know that God the Holy Spirit showed us about somebody or something. It's nothing to do with any of that. Jesus said what the Spirit's work would be. It's about truth. It's about leading and guiding us into all truth. It's about showing us the new plan. This plan that has been hid in God before time began. That's what he's revealing. Things that eyes have not seen. So when we talk about how the Holy Spirit is doing this, right? He's going to have this influence over us. He's going to be persuasive with regard to the truth. Now, if if that's true, and it is, or I should say, since that's true, then we can say a lot of people are resisting the Holy Spirit in our time, isn't it? Because they are not 
allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth. In fact, they have distorted who the Spirit is into some a system of emotion and hunches and feelings and you know, some, if I get a feeling of this, let me see if I got a feeling of that. Well, then if, if I do, or the Holy Spirit is, the only way the Holy Spirit is in tune with them is if you say things that they already believe. They're like, amen, yes, yes, that is so. But if you say something they don't believe, that's according to the word. And they wrinkle their brow up and they just have a problem with that. So hold on now. That's not something we believe. That's not something we... I don't know about that. We have to figure out that the Holy Spirit is an influence. But it is an influence according to truth. And then if we were to say what truth we have to relate this to, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that is where the rubber hits the road with what Jesus said and who the Apostle Paul, uh, how he characterized the ministries of the Spirit. The First Corinthians chapter 2 is a very important chapter. So, uh, how he does it is important. Right? We need, it's, well, let's see, if, if it wasn't defined about how he would do it, then we would have a question. But since we know the direction, it's about truth, then how he does it, well, what, what do you mean? It's about the kind of truth that we never had. The Spirit is influential in leading and guiding us into all truth. He's trying to get us to believe the mystery which was hidden. This is his objective. Now, since it's revealed, the Holy Spirit's objective is to lead and guide us into all the truth about this new plan that's in the heart of God. So we have to understand his influence because if we don't understand it, people will just fill in the blanks themselves and make false assumptions about God the Holy Spirit. Probably call him Holy Ghost or something. Point D. The Spirit of Truth will receive the hidden information, Christ says, from me. Right? That's, That's what this is. From me. And 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10, and make it known to us. I, I gave you that 1 Corinthians is very key. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9, and 10. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And here it is, 10. These things, these are the things. I love this. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. These are the things. That's what you should know. He will receive this hidden information from Christ, and he will make it known to us. Yeah, He he will make it known as far as reveal it to us. Now, there are some qualifications, and I may have covered it down the road here, but I'm going to say it now. There's some qualifications we have to understand when it says make it known to us. So I think I said it last week, but I'll say it again, that in the early church, we did not have the written word. So what did the Holy Spirit do in those cases? Because he is the spirit of truth. Well, 
we could take that another step and say, what is truth? And we would have to give our biblical understanding, your word is truth. So now, the New Testament wasn't fully written. So how did the Holy Spirit influence people to walk in the truth when it wasn't written? And the way that happens is through the temporary spiritual gifts. So the Holy Spirit gave these temporary spiritual gifts in the infancy era of the church when they did not have the written word. However, when the word was written, then we knew that the Holy Spirit would accentuate, illuminate, influence us with regard to the written word. Because that is true. Now, he's not talking about the Old Testament because Old Testament written word is uh, the message that God the Holy Spirit is giving us was hidden from them. So we're not... He's not illuminating necessarily what was Moses or Daniel or Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of them said, were, were given that information. He's emphasizing the truth that was hidden. So now there's a gap between how can we, your word is truth. Well, the word of God was condensed to writing. And that is what the Holy Spirit has made known to us. It's like what we have in Ephesians, right? There's, there's a key verse in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to turn you to it. Ephesians 2, 3. Two, Ephesians, 3 Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I'm just tripping myself up all over these words here. So verse 2 says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So this is something special. And he's saying, you've heard about it. Now, why would they have heard about it? It's because it was being taught, but it wasn't committed to writing in the early church. They have heard about it. And Paul began to write about it. So he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And then verse 3. So we know that Paul was not given that we should be under the Mosaic Law, we should be under this, we should be under that. Here it is. That is. (laughs) This is what it is. The mystery made known to me by revelation. Literally, Paul is saying, I got this from God. He revealed this to me. And then he says, as I have already written briefly. Paul's going to write, go on to write a whole lot more about the mystery, but he has already written some briefly. Notice he has committed some of this revelation to writing. How important is that? Very important. When God was told Moses to go up into the mountain. Moses didn't know that he was going to come down with the word of God. He was just being obedient. He went up there and God told Moses, first he wrote the Ten Commandments on stone, tablets of stone that he hewed out. He didn't say, Moses, 
I want you to carve out these tablets, these, these tablets in the stone so I can write on them. No, God did it. And then he wrote his words. Right? This is what the Lord says. You shall have no other gods before me, etc., etc. On Israel, <clears throat> which was unique about the people of God, had their word in writing. It's called the Mosaic Law. It's called the prophets, right? Sometimes just referred to the law. Sometimes we said the law, that meant the Mosaic Law and the prophets. But it was in writing. And here in verse 3, Paul says he has already written briefly. In verse 4, in reading this, then, now notice, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery how it all works together. That's where that word insight was. Remember, it's not just, it's a special word there. How we can put it all together. So reading it. So now we have the completed canon of scripture. It, God has committed to writing the mystery. So the spirit is now enabling us to understand be illuminated according to what has been written. That's the mystery. That's what his job is. That's what much. That's the much more information that Christ said he had to tell us. And it's important. And Paul is saying here, this is a new dispensation coming. This new administration. What is it? It's a mystery. Now, like I said, it wasn't in writing when it first was revealed. It was not in writing, but it had been committed to write. So when we talk about what is truth, your word is truth. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about the written canon of scripture that we have that augmented what God had uh, in the Old Testament. Now we have all the truth. We didn't have it before, but we do now. And we have it in writing. So when we talk about the word of God now, when it talks about the flower may fade or all this, but the word of God stands forever. Even though when that was written, we didn't know there was going to be the mystery. But now that we know that that's part of God's word, that's part of his heart or what he wants to reveal to us, that is included in the word of God. It shall stand forever. Your word is truth. <clears throat> this is where we get our name from in this church. Word is truth, Christian church. We're not some word of faith church where we uh, are a part of that movement at all. We are word is truth. John 17, 17. Christian church. So, so, so the Spirit will receive this hidden information from me, says Christ, and make it known to us. Literally, that verse answers what Jesus said. That's what he will do. Here it is. Right? We get to see it in time. In a matter of years, it was written. For, so that we can now re read Ephesians. And here some, some people will just read, oh, see, well, let me tell you what the mystery is. And they go, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. For them, that's all they think the mystery is. 
That's it. They don't see all the stuff that was written after that and all of the depth of chapter 3. How could you miss it? But yet, people have. They say, oh, well, what's the mystery? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what Paul says. Yeah, so that we're one with Israel. We're sharing it together and something, the promise. Very vague. When Then the... Not only was Ephesians, but Colossians, but Galatians, all of the verse, all of those books dealt with the mystery in detail. And, and all the rest of Ephesians, chapter 1, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. We holy and blameless. Romans dealt with the mystery. When people are struggling to say, and, and here's a good example of why we need to be sure of what we're talking about here. So here, on the subject of giving. So, a lot of churches today believe in tithing. Tithing is not for the church. There's nothing about tithing in the church. Nothing at all. And, in fact, that is not spiritual giving. There's counsel in in the epistles of of why we shouldn't tithe. It didn't say that um, tithing is you give 10% and you owe God that. That's literally, you owe him. If you don't pay somebody that you owe, then literally God is saying, you're robbing me. That's my money. You are taking it and not giving it to me, so that's like robbing me. But in the church, it says, no, every person should give what he has decided to give. Not grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. So tithe means 10%. God is saying, you should give. Giving is a part of worship. But you, you don't owe me anything. So some people say, well, in the Old Testament, they say, they say well, some churches say, well, uh, since there's no clear direction on tithing, we're going to pick up tithing from the Old Testament. Like the church is, the, the revelation for the church is not sufficient. It is sufficient. God has told us what he wants us to know about giving in detail. In fact, if you got the motivation for giving, wow, you got it all. You got what's important to God in this age. He didn't say nothing about you robbed me. He said nothing about that. It's all about... So, But here, people, instead of reading what the New Testament has on the mystery and the church and all of the function of how it should run, they go back to the Old Testament. They say, well, it's not enough there, so we'll go back to... And they haven't read what was there to even make that claim. Yeah, it's hidden information. We keep, we're going to keep going. Point E. Just as Christ was in submission to the Father, the Spirit is in submission to Christ. But Why? Why is the Spirit taking a back seat? Why is he will not speak on his own? Why will he glorify Christ? Why is he taking a back seat to Christ? For what reason? And here it is. Christ's words in verse 12. I have much more to say to you. And he says to you, he's talking to the disciples, but talking to us by extension those who believe on me through your message, that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's John 17, 20, 21. 
So we, we know that he's talking about us. He has much more to say to us. How did he say it? How did he come to say it? Through the word of truth. So now we can say, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Now we can say that. Point F. So then the members of the Trinity promote the plan uh, when, when here. Uh, so then the members of the Trinity promote the plan when here. What about us? So when I say that, hopefully you understand what I meant. I meant when Christ was here on earth, he promoted the plan. What did he say? He says, ah, it's all about the plan. He says, the, the Father has committed everything to me, and everything belongs to me now, and I do everything that the Father commands me. I love the Father. and do exactly as the Father. I'm promoting the plan. So when Christ was here, he was all about the Father. He didn't, he didn't try to glorify him. He, in fact, he even said, he says, I'm not here to do my will. I'm, do, I'm here to do the will of the Father. It is the glorified Christ that becomes the focal point. It is the person of Christ who did the work that becomes the focal point of salvation. So when the, now the Holy Spirit, the Father was never here per se, but we can see him deferring to Christ by investing all things in the person of Christ. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, and now he's on the earth, who does he promote? He promotes the plan as well. He's here on the ground, on the battlefield. What's he doing? His whole focus is on the plan of the Father, which is found now in the person of Christ. He knows that the Father has committed everything to the Son. So his focus is now the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is not just him, but it's us too, because we're united to who he is. So it's about, what about us? We're here on the ground right now. What's our purpose? What's our thought? How are we managing our time here? Are we submitted to Christ? And that's the question. Point G. The Spirit of Truth is here for two primary reasons. Two. One is to ensure that the world understands the new information from the results of Christ's work. And there it is. We talked about that earlier. It's uh, John 16, verses 8 through 11. When he comes, you know, he will, he will uh, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. You know, those scriptures that were just before the ones we, we, we entered into here. That's one primary purpose that the Scripture reveals about God, the Holy Spirit, and what He would do when He comes. It's very clear. And as I said before, if you want to work alongside Him in concert with Him, then you need to understand His mission, what He's doing. Right. So it's two primary purposes. That's one. And then... To identify the person of Christ, right? So uh, John 1, 29 and 30 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, And this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Yeah. So verse 
I will skip down to 32. John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what does John say? I have seen and I testify, I'm a witness, that this is God's chosen one. So that's one of the things, right, that the Holy Spirit will come to do. He, even though his ministry didn't start till Pentecost, look, he was already active in identifying the person of Christ to John the Baptist. That's special for him. He was part of, he was the forerunner of Christ. Right? He was making the path straight for the Lord. So that's, he wanted to ensure, that's one thing he wants to ensure. Two, to ensure that the Father's plan for the church is executed in two ways. Here it is. Equipping the believers chosen in Christ before, before creation and enlightening them to their new position and calling. It's two twofold way of what he's doing for the church. Right? Equipping. The equipping part is more than just, well, here's you know, extra water, here's some food for the trip you got. No, equipping is all those five things that we talked about. Those assets that are provided us where the baptism of the Spirit is part of our equipping to be who we are. And the Spirit baptizes every believer in Christ, and that's part of our equipping. And so is the filling, so is the indwelling, so is the gifting, so is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's part of our equipping. And then enlightening them to their new position and calling. So that's our orientation to the truth, so that we can walk according to the calling which we have received. That's Ephesians 4.1. It's important for us to know that and to understand what God has called us to. All of that is part of how the Holy Spirit's going to work in our lives. Now notice what's not here. There's nothing about emotion Holy Ghost, eyes wide, fanaticism, rolling around on the floor, none of those things. What's here is what God's, the Father's plan is and how he's going to execute that among us. Point number three, this is the work of the Spirit of truth. Uh, Here it is encapsulated in this verse. Two things, right, that we, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. So now notice our motivation uh, for the first point number one, ensure that the world understands this new information from the results of Christ's work, right? They, they need to know that. So what does the Spirit do? He, this is, so this is our objective as well. We have said, you know what, if that's good and pleases God, who is our Savior, it is also good for us. We, we also want all people to be saved. That's part of our ministry as well. We want people to come to Christ and to believe in him. And then they will have eternal life. And then the second part of that, 
is equivalent to point number two. And to come to a knowledge of the truth, and that's epinosis knowledge, deep knowledge, full knowledge of the truth. And then that's very similar to what Jesus says. When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. What's all the truth? That's like whatever augments what we already had as truth. It is all the truth, literally. The full knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. So that's what the work of the Spirit, that's encapsulated. That's what those two points are. That equipping and enlightening, right? So that enlightening to what? To their new position and calling. That's all the truth. We're moving forward. Point H. Point H. He will make known to you. So the Spirit's job is to make known to us the information he receives from Christ, our Lord. And if we look at what it says in 1 Corinthians, again, as our verse that sort of is our sister verse from what Jesus is saying and how it plays out. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And here, these last five, six, seven words, but we have the mind of Christ. There it is. So the mind, when Jesus says he will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. Well, what is mine? What Jesus has. And he says, I've got much more to say to you that's in my mind. More than you can now bear. But Jesus couldn't tell us all that. And so now what does he do? He employs the Holy Spirit to tell us. And this information, who does it glorify? The Holy Spirit? No, it glorifies Christ. Because this is, this is much more information that he had to say. So if you're not talking this much more information, if you're not talking about it, I wonder, what, what are you talking about? This is the, what the Spirit's doing. We want to work in concert with the Spirit. This is where we have to be, right here. That's His job, to make, a, make known this information to us. That's key. That's clear. And if you reject this information, wow, you, you are really on the wrong side of truth. So we have to make sure we are equipped and enlightened, understand, and ready for this ministry. Point I, this is our last point. So the Father invests this new, much more information in Christ. Right? That's where the, because this, this information is, we're going to get in, in verse 15, next verse, where it says, all that uh, the Father has belongs to me. So Jesus is saying where he got this information, this much more that he has to tell us, is from the Father. We're going to get that from the next verse. And the Spirit takes that same information, which was hidden in God, that's Ephesians 3, 9, and reveals it to us in this mystery age. That's Ephesians 3, 2 and 3, which we read earlier. Pretty soon, we won't even have to give these verses. All we have to just say is what the words are. So verses are like a road map. Oh, you go to uh, Maple Street, and you turn right at Elm Street, and that's how you get there. But after a while, 
the scripture should be so second nature to your thinking that they integrate and automatically you know that where these things are and what is being taught in those areas it's not so much oh i know what chapter and verse it's no i know what is being taught at that particular verse at this particular verse it's become part of my soul so these things i know there's so many facets to how the word of god teaches us and to we can apply it to our experience and the wisdom that we gain from reading and studying the word of god that's what should be championed reading studying allowing the holy spirit to lead and guide us into all truth so we got another verse that directly talks about the holy spirit in this way and i'm hoping what was already said as if if it's not something that you understand but that you take some time to look more into the workings of the holy spirit so that you don't be distracted or start coming up with your own ways of thinking about how the spirit works spirit doesn't does not move in mysterious ways he moves in defined ways and christ has defined them for us all we have to do is apply faith, trust in what he says. You believe in God, Christ said, believe also in me. Let's close. We'll come back next week with verse 15. Father, thank you so much. Again, I must say it is a privilege to be party to these things, to be a part of your glorious plan in this way. Father, there's no reason for me to look forward, no reason for me to look backward. I am right where you want me to be right now. So we come, Father, from this church. And our, it is our goal to, to do those things that, that you will be pleased with. To partner with you in fulfilling your eternal purpose. To allow the Spirit to be led by the Spirit into all truth. So, Father, we pray for this church. We pray for the members, those who are associated with it. We also prayed for those who are sick among us, those who are in pain. Father, we are asking for your relief, for your comfort. Um, Father, we, we want your will to be done. That's what will please us, that your will be done. Father, you, you said ask, so we're asking. So we're casting all our care upon you. We thank you for Jesus, who was here as well, lived the life worthy of his exaltation. And now he is the only person right now in heaven for us. So to represent man, Anybody in this world can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about their sins. It's simply faith. If you trust the matter of your soul's salvation to Christ, the scriptures are clear. You will have eternal life. All this we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen.